Okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part three of the Immunity Code by Joel Green. This is the last episode of the book, and in this episode, I'll be discussing three main topics. How to keep our muscle and blood young, the gut microbiome, and also circadian rhythm. To begin, I'll be discussing how to keep our muscle and blood quote-unquote young. He begins this section talking about satellite cells. Satellite cells are the stem cells of our muscle. They are called satellite cells because of the location in the myofiber, and they come from myoblasts. They have a role in muscle regeneration, repair, and remodeling, and normally they remain very quiescent. They remain in a quiet state until they are needed, and when they are needed, satellite cells will proliferate, differentiate, and fuse into pre-existing myofibers to create new myonuclei. There was a paper that I read showing how a decline in satellite cell content precedes any age-related muscle fiber atrophy. So it's really this stem cell or satellite cell exhaustion that's causing the sarcopenia or muscle loss. There was a lot of debate about how exactly to proliferate more satellite cells. I've read some papers showing how doing one rep maxes or doing low amounts of reps but higher amounts of weight and maxing out increase more satellite cells. But I've also read papers describing how a lot of metabolic stress that occurs in the muscle also creates a lot of satellite cell production. For example, if you do high intensity interval training, or if you do just high amounts of like high amounts of reps to create more lactic buildup, or using you know blood flow restriction bands, I've heard those are some of the best ways to kind of promote satellite cells. Either way, exercise is going to promote satellite cells. This is going to help keep your muscle young. So this is sort of where he begins the discussion of chapter 17. And he next talks about different targeted growth within uh, muscle in terms of different signal amplifications. And one specifically he talks about is called the ERK. So ERK or ERK 1 slash 2 in aged muscle. So ERK is, it stands for extracellular signaling related kinase. And there is a correlation of exercise and ERK activation. So all ERK is, is a signaling pathway similar to IGF or AMPK or sirtuin. These are all signaling pathways. And there was a paper showing how alteration in levels of ERK in age rodent uh, muscle kind of correlates with sarcopenia. In other words, as the, as the level of ERK activity decreases, so will the amount of sarcopenia. What happens is this ERK signaling pathway, when this kinase turns on, it kind of translocates to the nucleus. And when they get there to the nucleus, it'll activate transcription factors that help result in more protein synthesis. And this causes ch- uh, changes in cell you know, proliferation within the cell to make more myofibers and make more of those proteins within the sarcomere that help muscle grow. So again, ERK and muscle synthesis, there's a correlation there. Now, why ERK in muscle slows with aging? The reason ERK activation declines with age seems connected to aging blood and declining circulation. As we age, the blood tends to get clumpier and less viscous. The less viscous your blood, the less ERK activates. One of the ways to 
really target this ERK is through massage, as he says. Research shows that just a single session of massage, massage post-exercise increases muscle satellite cell, stem cells and also ERK activation. And massaging your muscle really mimics the circulation of this quote-unquote young blood. I think this is why those Theraguns and all these different you know, guns that people put to their legs after or before a workout, you know, this is kind of why they're coming into the mainstream is because they're seeing that it kind of helps with the, I guess, stretching of the, the fascia and causing more of this ERK activation and probably helps, again, keep the this young muscle. Uh, for now, I'll be moving forward and talking more about this young blood. So starting in 2005, Science papers in the field of parabiosis have demonstrated the rejuvenating powers of young blood transfusions. So parabiosis is a term I've talked about before. It is when you join an old mammal to a young one via their blood. So you're doing uh, trading in their blood so that the young mice will get an old person's blood and the old person will get the young mice's blood. Experiments with parabiosis have shown remarkable improvements in regenerating liver, muscle, and stem cells. Recently, the practice of platelet-rich plasma injections have grown in popularity. Platelet-rich plasma injections derive from enriching blood factors. The enriched blood factors enhance renewal of stem cells. So you see more PRP in the mainstream market. What they do is they'll take out your blood or someone's blood and filter it, and they remove all the growth factors that are contained within that blood and then they'll inject it back into certain areas maybe an area that you want more hair growth or an area that needs more recovery from an injury they'll inject that platelet-rich plasma those growth factors will have their magic in that area and cause you know you to be kind of youthful again in terms of whether you want uh, younger more younger or more hair or more regeneration or recovery of a muscle that may have been injured. Um, so that's that's the platelet-rich plasma. That's this whole parabiosis thing that is still in the works. But just to sum up the changes in old blood. In old blood, we get a decline in key immune cells, decline of function in other immune cells. You get a decline in red blood cell number and function, and also a decline of stem cell renewal. As the blood itself becomes an inflammatory medium, tissues do not get properly oxygenated. So hypoxia of tissues and inflammation spread everywhere. So not only does our blood get old and stop making as good as functioning immune cells as we used to have, but it also acts as an inflammatory medium, which I mentioned in the first episode. Now the key idea is that we need to increase the oxidative capacity of blood as we age. The next problem of age blood is the blood viscosity is reduced. I mentioned this already. Worse, blood cells tend to kind of clump together more as we age, and this prevents a massive problem for circulation. We get higher amounts of this protein called fibrinogen, and it tends to make our blood, you know, very less viscous. It's more stagnated, and this again creates a lot of problems with the ERK pathway, with just normal blood flow to our organs. So you know, we want uh, different mechanisms to help thin the blood and make it less viscous. And he talks about this one molecule here, 
is called Fusiodin, F-U-C-O-I-D-A-N. And it is perhaps the most promising quote-unquote heparin mimetic. So heparin is an anticoagulant molecule. And it's a natural, and Fusiodin is a natural fiber polysaccharide that you can find in seaweed, you know, brown algae. It has a lot of anti-cancer benefits and also prevents blood clot formation. And it also tends to be anti-inflammatory through the reduction of interleukin-6. He also talks about this TET2, which is, so the mechanism seems to be that TET2, just as other protein that declines in old blood, tends to restore the balance of red blood cells to aging blood. And there's new research that if you can combine vitamin C, or if you take vitamin C, you can really help restore the TET. And again, this plays a huge role in the production of like blood cells from our hematopoietic stem cell. So all, all blood cells, like white blood cells, red blood cells, they all come from hematopoietic stem cells. And taking this vitamin C, as well as this fusiodin, really helps kind of like put it together. So I'll just go ahead and read because I'm not really explaining it as well as I should. So, so this hack, combining vitamin C with fusiodin, time to max ERK signaling after a workout, addresses both old muscle and old blood at the same time. So ERK activation peaks at the six hour mark post a workout. This hack is designed to mimic a youthful profile of blood and muscle at the precise time when you need it post-workout. By addressing TET, ERK, and blood fibrins around working out, this is a master hack you can use on a regular basis to keep blood and muscle young. So that's sort of the basis of keeping your muscle and, and blood young. There's different pharmaceuticals out there that can help you with that. For example, like omega-3s, aspirin, these are all kind of these uh, blood thinners and it kind of keep the blood flowing and, and keep it youthful. And again, we keep our muscle young by obviously working out, lifting weights. Uh, for now, I want to move forward to the next section. And this is all about sleep and immunity. Now, I kind of want to harken back to the why we sleep podcast I did by Matthew Walker, because that's the most comprehensive review I'll do of sleep. But he also talks about sleep here. So I want to mention it for a brief second. And so I'm going to go to this next session where he talks about inflammation and loss of diurnal rhythm. So as we age, different timekeeping mechanisms within each cell that regulate diurnal rhythms become disrupted, which disrupts sleep. Age-related inflammation disrupts sleep. One underlying mechanism identified in recent years is the loss of NAD. So NAD is a molecule I've talked about multiple times. It's a coenzyme involved in energy production, DNA repair, sirtuin activation. And there was a study done in 2020 showing the correlation between NAD levels and sleep. So supplementation with NAD and precursors of NAD like NRNN and NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide, help reprogram the metabolic and stress response pathways that decline in aging through inhibition of different clock repressors like PER2. So our genes are 
really regulated by this clock gene. Our circadian rhythm is really re regulated by this clock gene, which was mainly discovered by Sachin Panda. And if you want to read more or listen more about the clock gene and circadian rhythm, I also recommend reading The Circadian Code by Sachin Panda. These are one of the first three episodes that I did on my podcast. And in regards to this clock gene, NR really balances uh, this kind of clock gene mechanism of circadian rhythm. And it also enhances this BMAL. So BMAL is similar to clock. It is a protein that binds to the clock and it's responsible for generating molecules that help in circadian rhythm. This is why NAD and NAD precursors are so important, not just for the DNA repair, not just for energy production, but it also helps in our circadian rhythm. And again, this is hypothesized why people who are in their 80s and 90s really have a tough time falling asleep. They, they have a difficult time falling asleep for multiple reasons. One of them is the NAD decline. And again, if we can boost NAD levels, we can have better circadian rhythm via this BMAL gene that gets turned on and regulated. And he also has this section called Poor Sleep Drives More Poor Sleep. So research with inflammatory markers suggests a feedback loop is at work when it comes to how sleep, poor sleep drives more poor sleep. The less you sleep, the more inflammatory signals propagate. The more inflammation signals propagate, the less you sleep and the worse your immune system works. For example, inflammation disrupts a key cell in the brain needed to regulate sleep. When inflamed, these cells, like astrocytes, put several key inflammatory factors into circulation. These factors affect the core gene regulating diurnal rhythm, the clock gene, which I just mentioned. Then, in a feedback loop, disrupted sleep activates the immune system, and this drives brain inflammation. So this is the vicious cycle. We get poor sleep. And again, this poor sleep makes our sleep worse, etc. Again, if you want to read more about circadian rhythm, circadian biology, I highly, highly recommend you check out my circadian code book by Sachin Panda. If you just scroll back to one of my first three episodes. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that and move forward to the next topic, which is the immune gut. And when it comes to the immune gut, we really only need to focus on two bacterias. Those bacteria, as you've heard before, they are Acromantia and Bifidobacterium. I'll go ahead and start with Bifidobacteria. A 2016 science paper on Bifidobacteria in human aging showed how declining levels of Bifido correlate to every major milestone of declining health. At a high level, Bifidobacterium helps us digest carbs, protect against pathogens, and help us make vitamin B and antioxidants. Bifidobacteria is also central to immunity. Now, it also may protect against cancer, uh, specifically colorectal cancer. You can get it from different fermented foods, things like yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, tempeh. You can also get it from fruits. This is where you get Bifidobacterium, and the importance cannot be overstated of getting enough Bifidobacterium in the diet. Oral administration of bifidobacterium has been shown to protect again against certain cancers like colorectal cancer as well as melanoma. Bifidobacterium correlates with decreased inflammation status and improves ability to 
use blood sugar for energy instead of storing it as fat. Bifidol also promotes production of butyrate, which I'll get to in just a second. And then bifidobacterium also produces a key protein called serpin. This helps sidestep the gluten intolerance that a lot of people feel. And lastly, very long-lived individuals over 100 years old all have significantly higher levels of bifidobacterium than average lifespan humans in old age. So again, there's this correlation here of bifidobacterium and aging. And we know aging, the whole process of aging, we get a decline in bifidobacterium. We get less diversity in the gut microbiome. And this potentially leads to all these uh, more inflammation, possible more cancer growth, etc. So again, eat your fermented foods, eat your fruit, and flourish your bifidobacterium. Now, the other bacteria in the gut I wanted to talk about was the acromantia. Or acromantia municephilia is the full name of, of acromantia. Acromantia is considered the master regulator of the gut lining. By feeding on the mucin in the gut layer, acromantia has been shown to be the primary bacteria thickening the gut mucus layer. And there was a paper in 2017 by a team of researchers in the Netherlands who were able to identify the exact mechanism by which acromantia really controls the gut mucus lining. So here's the mechanism, how it controls gut mucus lining. Acromantia produces a protein, it's called pill proteins. Pill proteins have a direct effect on interleukin-10, again a cytokine, which is the primary signal to shut the gut junctions. So we, we, we create more of a barrier in our epithelial lining and we pre- prevent the translocation of different pathogens and lipopolysaccharides that can leak into our gut and drive inflammation. So this is why it's so important to have that acromantia there so it can really help protect our gut lining. And again, how acromantia also controls our net calories as well. So this is very fascinating to me. So acromantia has a unique ability. It can contract the surface area of the gut lining. And the first result is the gut junctions are sealed and tightened. That I already mentioned. The other result is less energy from food gets absorbed. In this sense, acromantia is like a calorie dial. So I wanted to explain that a little bit more. Acromantia is positively correlated to being lean, having lower body weight, and reduced weight gain. The leanest people in the world all seem to have plentiful amounts of acromantia in the gut. Conversely, people who are overweight or struggle with metabolic disease seem to be lacking acromantia. And we know in a 2021 study that metformin actually boosts acromantia in the gut. This is a possible mechanism of, of metformin. And we also know that acromantia actually increases the thermogenic sort of thermogenesis. So it helps activate the uncoupling protein. So we lose energy sort of like someone would take dinitrophenol or someone would take a cold shower. We would activate more of these uncoupling proteins. And again, uncoupling proteins we also get from brown fat. And this helps really keep us lean, uh, you know, throughout the year. So that's another mechanism of the of the acromantia. And one one more to mention is that it actually activates GLP as well, which uh, I won't get into. But again, through the through this thermogenic effect, through GLP activation, this is really how acromantia works. 
And now there's companies out there taking advantage of Acromancia. Like, for example, Pendulum. This is this new company that is using Acromancia in a pill form as this kind of probiotic, which I think is funny because you can actually produce your own Acromancia again by eating fruits and vegetables and fermented food. So I don't think you need to waste your money on that. Uh, but again, there's this huge correlation between obesity and acromancia and also gut health and acromancia. Um, so for now, I'm going to go ahead and uh, move forward. Um, Joel Green also loves apple peels. So if you ever listen to Joel Green, you know that you can flourish acromancia through eating um, apple peels as well as cranberry juice. So onto the last section is all about fibers and butyrate. So what is butyrate? Butyrate is a fat, specifically a short chain fatty acid. It is made in the large intestine and it's a byproduct of the metabolism of very specific bacteria. Specialized bacteria in your gut make butyrate when key fibers are fermented. These bacteria excrete butyrate as a metabolite and in turn butyrate helps produce more of this IL-10, interleukin-10 that, that I mentioned, which is also not only helping with the gut lining, but it also helps antagonize the inflammatory cytokines like IL-6. We can get butyrate from eating things like almonds, chickpeas, apples, garlic, asparagus, broccoli, fermented foods, again, lentils, green beans. You see the, you see the theme in all my podcasts. The more vegetables you eat, the more benefits. It's not just about the the polyphenols. It's really the benefit in our gut microbiome. So we want to flourish our good bacteria and we do it by eating high amounts of fruits and vegetables. So he puts here that butyrate is the mechanism that steers and directs gut micro, macrophages and it promotes the differentiation of the regulatory T-cells that keep our immune system in check. And it also inhibits any like pro-inflammatory cytokines, as I mentioned. Um, so again, butyrate, extremely important. It also stimulates the specialized immune cells called plasma cells to secrete more of this IgA or immunoglobulin A. This in turn also limits the growth of bad bacteria in our gut lumen. And butyrate also activates human genes involved in creating mitochondria, which mimic the benefits of exercise and fasting and promote uh, lifespan. So it enhances the oxygen utilization within muscle. And there was a study done, I'm gonna mention one more study. There was a study done in 2020, and it showed how butyrate actually modulated exercise, or sorry, it modulated expression of 54 different genes that participate in mitochondrial energy metabolism, both the content of the mitochondrial DNA and also the production of ATP through this different like G protein coupled uh, beta arrest and AMP uh, PGC1 alpha pathway. So again, that's a lot of words, very confusing, but just know that butyrate really helps support our mitochondria through not through making more gene expression of of genes involved in mitochondrial production and function. So again, butyrate important. And I kind of want to, I'm running a little late here, so I'll, I'll stop the podcast here. And again, this will be the last episode of this book. 
to be honest, this was a very rough read. I didn't enjoy it as I as much as I thought I would. And this is for a few reasons. So the first is that this was a self-published book. There's a lot of um, errors in this book, not only scientifically, but also uh, punctually. And it was written as a, a sort of like a, a childish level. And not to discredit Joel Green, I think he's very smart in his field, but as a as a doctor, it's sort of I'm sort of reading uh, this at a first grade level. I feel like this book it doesn't explain details, it doesn't really talk about the studies in detail, which I normally appreciate. And he just keeps thing, things very superficial, and at least for me. I, I do appreciate him kind of putting things in in layman's terms, but it's kind of too much. I also feel like his analogies were not really the best, and again. Everything was not explained enough. Even the studies he he referenced, it was just kind of like two lines and didn't go into full detail about the study. So again, kind of a hard read, but I wanted to give it a try. Uh, you can give it a try yourself. You can go to the Amazon or wherever, type in the immunity code, uh, Joel Green, and the book will be there. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I hope you really kind of learn something about the importance of keeping our muscle and our blood really young, the importance of of NAD when it comes to circadian rhythm, and also the importance of not only butyrate and acromantia, but also the bifida of bacterium as well. So again, thank you for listening. There's a lot of good books coming out in a short while, so I hope to get those around to those soon. In the meantime, uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast.